Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Welcome to the Bridge Weird Show, which connects East and West. My name is Jason, and today with me is Bebe. Oh my gosh, you're talking so fast. You you sound like you're on a rocket ship. Like just zoom, wow. you're going off somewhere. Where are you going, Jason? <laughs> now I think we should talk about rocket ships. So Space program. China and the United States are both set to put boots on the moon within a decade. Is a friendly scientific rivalry going to give space some steam? <laughs> Let's discuss China, the U.S., India, and more on the topic of the ascent to the celestial worlds above. What do you think? Huh. Is this a topic you're interested in, Bebe? Do you watch like rockets and stuff well, like that? Well, I come across uh, scenes of rockets going into space, um, like Chinese version of TikTok. And it's been so frequent in the past few years. Like we're just like, we're exhausted from clapping. Because back then it was like maybe once every few years, right? And then there's more and more. Now it's like, ooh, every other day, another successful launching. Hey, <laughs> why not? <laughs> so, but I was just thinking, Jason, because I know that you are interested, immensely interested in space exploration. So I know that kind of on the two um, end of a spectrum, when it comes to interest in space exploration, because mm -hmm. I know that you're interested, you've been following all the things that's been happening. So I can see you, you know, sitting in front of your computer, Googling for the frontier discovery when it comes to scientific exploration in space. Well, I literally sat down and typed in, why are we going to the moon? <laughs> and, and the answers I found are not even convincing. So in this really? article, I found a couple reasons. This, uh, I forgot his title, but you know, he works important position in the US for space exploration. One of the reasons he said is to, you know, if you really want to understand the origin of the evolution of the solar system, there is mm -hmm. no better place to go than the moon. And the reason he gave is because the moon has never had an atmosphere mm -hmm. or flowing water. Mm -hmm. It is not subject to weathering and erosion and has thus preserved mm -hmm. evidence of its origin, at least according to scientists. And also, mm -hmm. as technology has steadily improved in the decades since Apollo, the level of detail on the moon's surface revealed by such probes as the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, sounds familiar to you, is so extraordinary that we've already identified rocks on the lunar surface that we want astronauts to collect. Mm -hmm. And now there are questions of, okay, you know, probes and other robots, we can put them on the moon and we have, mm -hmm. why do we have to send humans? You know, astronauts, precious, our precious scientists and astronauts onto the moon. And the reason that they gave, uh, actually, this professor's name is Craig Hardgrove. He's an associate professor um, in the School of Earth and Space Exploration at Arizona State University. And he said, because rovers and land they are limited by the scientific instruments they carry with them. And they also... What about exploration? Exploration? I don't... I, honestly, I don't care about collecting rocks. I don't care about the history of the solar system. I mean, there are a couple of really good reasons, but those are nerd reasons. Okay. Like, number one is... Uh -huh. Firstly, ex 
for example, when people invest, right, you don't just put all your money in gold. Mm. You don't put all your money in stock market, right? We're all, all of us humans. We live on Earth. So this is Elon Musk's reason right here. He's given. This is one of the two reasons I want to give. And one of them is, hey, yeah, we live on Earth. If something happens to Earth, there's no human. Or there's no There's no all 4.5 billion years of evolution gone. Mm. But if we become what he refers to as a multi-planet species, mm-hmm. I mean, living on many planets, that, hey, if Earth is terribly destroyed because an asteroid or whatever Mm. hey we're still alive because we didn't all invest only in one thing in one earth we got to diversify our portfolio and that means going to other planets but there's also the obvious reason is just because we can because the whole universe as far as we know so Mm -hmm. far is devoid of life Mm. and it's infinite and we we haven't seen the edge of it let's go fill that with us (laughs) this it's 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 our destiny to fill the universe with jason that phrase we're like in an embryo we're like an egg in a womb and the universe is the womb and we're just this one little cell and it's time to divide and divide and divide until the universe is full of us wow i think you know what you just said i think like stars and other planets or if there are any other life on other planets they're shivering from just hearing that fill the universe with us humans oh my god <laughs> you know because from my perspective well, so far, so far, there's nothing on Mars. From my you know, perspective, <laughs> I feel like we've done enough damage, you know, and so far it's limited to like one planet, the Earth. And it sounds like we're, you know, let's rotten our ability to mess things up and to destroy balances on other planets, too. I think that's what like alien think. Mars doesn't have any kind of balance. Let's just go there and give it. We're, let's go. Let's go. It's All time right. to go. Uh, this is it. We're ready that we, the, the, you know, <laughs> the egg of the Earth is ready to blossom into and start dividing. And we're going to go to other planets. This is exciting. Besides the fact that we might save humanity, because eventually, I mean, in five billion years, it is true the earth will be uninhabitable in five billion years the sun will go become a red giant and swallow the earth and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves if we're inside of a star you really think so we're gonna, it's time to get out there you now. really think we're gonna be around for another like not five think. Billion this years? is scientific yeah yeah let's go come on let's let's live so a few more trillion years now, you know the universe is 13.4 trillion years old and as they say it's just getting started some new developments in the space race you know it's kind of going on not just like why you know because you know i think different people are going to be like baby side oh gosh let's just fix the earth and stay out of there right and other people are going to be on jason jason's side let's make star wars true <laughs> right right but, right that you know, sounds i want to talk about the chinese space station the tiangong or the celestial heaven space station it was originally built last mm. year finished completed last year and it was meant to exist for five years but now they want to make it last 15 years to the year 2037 and they're going to double the size of the chinese tiangong this Chinese space station, so that it's almost the same size as the current International Space Station, which is largely the European Union, America, Japan, and currently Russia. And they're joining up with the Chinese. Mm. So China has made this space station available to any nation in the world, which includes the United States, if the United States is interested, Mm. to go up and conduct Uh experiments and to potentially send 
future astronauts, or in China they're called taikonauts, and you know Russia they're mm. they're, you know, they're different names in different countries. But uh, if it doubles in size, it will be able to hold twelve people, not six. And they'll be. Did you know? Oh, wait, so, I'm so excited now. I can't even think straight. I can tell. I want to ask one question. You said earlier that it was meant to be in space for five years. Yeah. Like, what do you mean by that? Isn't it going to just be there for like a long time? The space station. Well, you know, I don't actually fully understand this either. The for let's go back for another example. Look at the ISS. The International Space Station was already supposed to have retired mm-hmm. because these as these systems get old and mold develops. Other problems develop. It eventually needs to be retired, which means probably mm. slowly burned up in the Earth's atmosphere on re-entry. Mm-hmm. But uh, each one of these so far is not meant to stay up there indefinitely, forever. The Chinese space station, this version, because I think this is the second Chinese space station, was originally meant only to be up there for a few years. But now China is like, wow, we've done it so well. We've done been so successful. Mm. We're going to double it in size and keep it until 2037. Mm-hmm. The ISS, the International Space Station, which has been is already beyond its retirement, is scheduled to be retired in 2030. So unless the United States puts up a new space station mm-hmm. between now and 2030, China will be the only one in heaven. Oh, that will be a bit lonely, right? But I guess, as you mentioned, we are it's open to other to astronauts from other nations that we can do research together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, cooking curry with like Hong Pao chicken in the space station together. <laughs> Why not, right? They don't cook. You know, they just send up these pre, these like rationed packets of food. You you really don't cook. I can tell you something uh, really well, interesting. I'm not going then. Well, let, uh, <laughs> I want fresh food. Let me tell you. Well, they have fresh vegetables on the Tiangong, on the Chinese space station. They have been growing fresh vegetables, but they're eating them raw. Okay, so on the International uh, Space Station, it, there is a, a rule and it is no open flames. You cannot light a flame of any kind on the International Space Station. <laughs> So no smoking on the space station? (laughs) But on the Chinese space station, recently, in the last week or so, they lit a match and lit a candle in space for the first time ever. And it was really interesting because, you know, they had a candle in uh, China. And it was the same exact candle. They lit it and it went, it burned in, you know, the vertical manner where it goes upwards, but there's no gravity in space. So it created a little bubble of flame, which is very cool. It's the first time I saw it. I saw it on space.com. You can find it there if you're interested in watching the video. So you wanted to talk about the Indian space program. Yes. What did you have in mind? Right. I saw videos of it. It's like it's made up of a golden foil. It's hyperconductive. So it's very, very useful in space. Gold is oftentimes, you know, the space program is not inexpensive. In this online video, I heard that the Indian lunar lander is one of the, like, one of the cheaper, cheapest version of the similar thing that they're able to make. But they can't be that cheap if it's, like, made of gold. But I guess just parts of it. Do you know enough about the Indian lunar? Did it fall asleep or something? Mm. That's what I heard, right? It landed, but then... Well, yeah. Well, here's the thing about things in space. Sometimes they may seem dysfunctional and then they become functional months later. You know, there are two Voyager probes leaving the space station that were sent out decades, like half a century ago by NASA. And occasionally they just stop talking to Earth. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, months <laughs> later, it'll be like, hey, I'm out here still. What's going on? And so there's the... <laughs> 
Right. So there's I a just possibility didn't feel like it earlier. they'll be able to re-engage with the Indian lunar lander later. Because sometimes it's just a matter of convincing the programming there mm-hmm. to start talking again. I don't know how that works. I'm not a software person. Or... So in this article from space.com, uh, the title is India tries waking up Chandrayaan. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right. Mm-hmm. And it's the third such moon lander rover in the series. The first one, the predecessor, the Chandrayaan number two, crashed in 2019 due to like a software glitch. And then the mm-hmm. Chandrayaan number two orbiter is still studying the moon from lunar orbit. So this is like the third attempt mm-hmm. and it landed, but I think either it was put into hibernation or it just kind of turned off. Well, Ashley says the Pryan rover was put to sleep on September 2nd when all of its instruments were turned off. And then the Vikram lander followed suit two days later. Uh, the mission completed its primary mission goals, though, but it's hoped that the two spacecraft may have to be able to survive the frosty lunar night. So it gets really cold, apparently. And in the two weeks that followed, so basic information, let me go back a little bit. This third mission by India landed near the lunar south pole on August 23rd, making India only the fourth nation in history to stick a lunar landing after the US, Russia, and China. So that's already quite an accomplishment. And in the two weeks that followed, the Pranya, I'm not saying that right, P R A G Y A N explored the landing site, beaming images back to Earth, while Vikram performed sets of um, scientific experiments, including measuring the temperature of the top layer of the lunar surface, or regolith, if you know what that is. And the probe also analyzed the chemical composition of the lunar dust and found traces of sulfur, which might hold clues to past volcanic activity. Ooh, exciting. And then they kind of just put, you know, went to sleep and they're trying to wake it up. <laughs> Sounds kind of funny. They're trying to wake up the lunar lander. So that's the story, basic story about the Indian lunar lander. Well, that's a, the second actual attempt at landing on. It's the third vehicle sent to the moon, but it's the second attempt to mm. go down to the surface. Regolith just means dirt. But since the uh, mm-hmm. lunar surface is not made of the same stuff as Earth, it's referred to as regolith, which, you know, I've actually been to. I have been within one meter. Of, what do you mean you've been to? I've been to uh, about one meter from regolith, from lunar Earth or dirt that we had here in Beijing. Where? How? Well, I'm, I'm oh, trying to get no. there. Give me a second. So China sent a probe, one of its probes that landed on the moon took samples Mm -hmm. and then returned to lunar orbit and then was retrieved and brought back to earth where scientists Mm. took the majority of it but they took a small i guess tennis ball sized capsule of it and put it in the i I don't know Mm. if it's still there it may have just been temporary put it in the national museum Mm -hmm. here in beijing so i went there and stood about a meter from Mm. a piece of the moon that china had taken back to earth it was one of the highlights of my life i took selfies of myself (laughs) with the moon that that you had retrieved and uh, posted it all over Mm -hmm. my social media i was so excited to be so close to some moon standing yeah close to a chunk of the moon i hope there's like no weird radiation or things like that should be pretty (laughs) safe huh I, oh, I certainly. I'm just. Well, I, you know. I only have a few extra ears, but mostly still okay. Oh, 
but good you know, for you. You know, the, the in terms of the moon itself, it's only one of many objectives. And it's kind of more like um a stepping stone because humans can't really or don't really want to live there in a permanent way. There are several reasons. A lot of people in the sci-fi mm-hmm. world really want to like humans to populate the moon, but it's not realistic. And that is because the dust on the moon everywhere, all over it, doesn't have, like you mentioned earlier, an atmosphere. And because there's no atmosphere, mm-hmm. even if we were to live in like pods and stuff, any exposure to lunar dust could, can potentially be lethal. The reason is all of the little shards of yeah. various elements on the surface of the moon, the regolith, are incredibly sharp. And if you inhale even a small, tiny amount into your lungs, oh. your lungs will bleed. So be- this is extremely dangerous stuff, and it doesn't make Ooh. it very suitable for humans to live on the moon long term. That's why the United States, its plan is to put an orbiter around the moon with scientists living on that station who can then go down to the moon, do experiments at a lab, and then return to orbit. Because U.S. astronauts who did go to the moon, in fact, did inhale very tiny Mm -hmm. uh, pieces of dust from the moon, and it damaged their lungs. So um, living on the moon long term is not realistic. I have not been dreaming about living on the moon. And as you mentioned, another reason why we want to do space exploration or we want to go to the moon is that it's a stepping stone for going to the Mars. Yes. So it says in the article, because I was looking for reasons, why are we going to the moon? We have enough problems to, you know, to be fixed, waiting to be fixed here on Earth. That's exactly why we, your point is exactly why we need to get out there. We have so many problems here that <laughs> you think we it's need to better? get out on the no, I mean, say, okay, let's just say there is some sort of um, catastrophe. I, I don't want to say the kinds of catastrophes because the white could wipe out all humanity, mm. but there are a number we could choose yes. from. If we're living on multiple worlds, then we survive. If we're just here trying to fix our problems, then we're all gone. <sighs> so, like, I think we have mm. to go out to other planets to ensure the long term survivability of our species. The whole idea, I've heard this so many times oh, we need to protect our Earth first. Well, if we fail, we're gone. But if we're on Mars and mm-hmm. Titan or and whatever, then we are still here. So that's the reason we need to go to other worlds. So instead of like suffering on Earth alone, let's move to another planet and start like suffering from point zero, <laughs> trying to make living. And hey, I'm not suffering. I had a great coffee this morning. My my day wasn't mm-hmm. suffering. It was like playing with my cat and going to work and like right. drinking some yummy coffee. Like we could do that. We could imagine we could have cats and coffee on every planet. Imagine all the great mornings people could have. Jason waving to me all the way from Mars, and the little bit of information that I learned this morning why we want to go to the moon and because the launch windows to get to Mars are uh, once every two years. So which means if we send astronauts that's correct on the surface of Mars, they would have to live there for you know a while before they can come back or because we can, we can pick them up. The plan, because I want to outline this, on SpaceX plan mm-hmm. to bring 200 people at a time to Mars is for them not to come back. Okay. Ever. So it's, it, yeah. So they're what they're going to do is create a colony. His plan, and he's outlined this in multiple speeches, multiple times to standing ovations all over the world, is to make it so that it only costs you two or $300,000 for a full, for home and employment forever on Mars. And he's going to 
create a colony. His dream is by 2040 mm. to have 1 million human beings living in a city on Mars. Wow. Okay. Whew. Pretty advanced thinking, but that leaves us, what, like 15, 16 years in the future to realize that? Well, I guess it's, uh, you never know. I got the whole plan. I mean, literally know every part of this plan. Mm. Very recently, SpaceX prepared to launch its second mounted attempt to launch what they call the Starship, which is the largest uh, spaceship ever built. Bigger than anything in, in history by many folds over in terms of the, the capabilities of getting payloads to space. Mm. And it's going to be launched very soon, probably within the next couple of weeks after the second, the first attempt that was made earlier this year is actually a success. You know, you mentioned they reached their parameters for the Indians landed on the moon, but it then it stopped working, but they reached their mission success. Mm -hmm. The recent SpaceX attempt that exploded in the atmosphere also reached its success. It was only supposed to be able to take off from the platform. Mm -hmm. So this next one might actually be able to reach orbit. And so eventually these starships will, they'll launch one into space. Mm -hmm. And then it will orbit and they'll launch another one into space and they'll both then move together. One will have people on board mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever you need to put, you know, equipment on, on Mars. And the other one will have fuel and it will refuel in space and then it will go to Mars, land on Mars. And then they will just keep sending these. And eventually they do come back, but they come back empty. They don't come back with people on them. And then we keep reusing them. He's going to have hundreds traveling to and from Mars mm -hmm. at any given time by 2030. I this see. is the plan anyways. Hundreds. And so each one is going to be delivering equipment and people, and they're going to be growing human presence on Mars. His uh, conception is if there's about a million okay. people on Mars, it becomes self-sustaining, as in no longer needing resupplies. Of course, of course, more people and more equipment and more technology and more Earth and all kinds of things it, it will keep going. But one million people should be enough people on Mars to utilize the local resources mm. on Mars to maintain a, a, a permanent human settlement on the red planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see human beings, you know, standing on Mars and looking around and, <laughs> you know, thinking about Jason's local resources. Hmm, just where yeah. are they? <laughs> yeah. And also besides SpaceX, there is uh, Blue Origin. I think they, the, earlier this year, the agency signed mm -hmm. a $3.4 billion deal with Jeff Bezos. It's Blue Origin, uh, also to build a lander, but for later moon landings. So the private firms are also, you know, working hard toward this mission. That's one of the NASA's plan is to utilize many private enterprises. Boeing's working on it. Blue Origin's working on it. But most of their projects are not coming to fruition nearly as fast as anyone had hoped. I think there's Dream Chaser is a few years behind mm. schedule. And uh, Bezos's new um, vehicle is also behind schedule by at least one year. SpaceX was supposed to be launching its first uh, mission to Mars without people next year, but that's probably unrealistic and it might not happen until 2026. So hmm. it's hard stuff. Space is. And I think this year was the first time that, you know, we heard about private enterprises working in space exploration in China. I'm sure they've been working, you know, private companies have been working. We just heard it. Like the emergence of private space companies such as iSpace and Galaxy. 
galactic. How do you say this? G-A-L-A-C-T-I-C. How do you how do, galactic. a galactic energy? So they have added a new dimension to China's space endeavors. So more competition in the future, which that will drive progress and technological advancements. Because mainly, you know, when we think about yeah. sending rockets and other things to space, we think of China's National Space Administration. So abbreviated as CNSA, but actually private companies. And I think in the future, there will be more because the country has been focusing so much um, and it has a long-term vision and it's dedicated lots of resources in its space exploration and technology. So there's a whole like industrial chain mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. in which there will be a lot of uh, opportunities, both for private and state administrations. Can I tell a story? Sure. I had a friend. I was sitting outside. This was, I don't know, a couple years back, maybe longer, three years ago, mm. four years ago, even. Um, I was sitting outside with a group of friends and I had a Chinese American friend who never been to China until that that point. And we were talking about space, you know, because a lot of Americans are nerds like me who like space. And he was <laughs> saying, oh, does China have something like NASA? And I was like, of course it does. It has something called CNSA. And he said, oh, you should get a t-shirt or something that says that. Mm. And I had two shirts on. I pulled up one of my shirts and the shirt underneath <laughs> was the CNSA shirt. It's all red with a chevron on it. It had the symbol for it. I'm a huge fan of Chinese mm. space program. It's amazing. And this is why I put this show together and i'm going to outline it because mm -hmm. in the 1960s and 70s and 80s there was a huge race between the soviet union and the usa right and, you know the usa really got competitive they were like ah we got to try harder because russia was winning mm -hmm. you know at first and you know russia was the first person they put the first human in space they put the first satellite in space they did all kinds of first 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 <laughs> first and america was starting to get embarrassed and they were like we're gonna go to the moon mm -hmm. so they rushed and rushed and rushed and invested in an enormous amount of money. The, actually, the NASA's budget is about 10% of what it was in terms of national GDP now as it was then. So they really put, mm. put their backs into it and it got created competition. Now that China is starting to say, hey, we're here too. And you know, you have your own space station and you have your own lunar landers and you have your own Martian landers and all this new technology. I'm personally hoping that this is going to say, hey, America, hey, Europe, hey, Japan, hey, India, let's all get into this game because maybe it can become like the Olympics and everyone will try harder and then we'll all get to where we're going sooner. I have some numbers here. So in the year to the end of September 2021, NASA says its spending was worth $71.2 billion to the U.S. economy. So as you mentioned, a 10.7% increase on the year before. That's a lot of money. And it's a huge industry, right? That's, well, that's confusing, though, because you have to realize that because GDP is increasing, CPI is increasing, it's actually a smaller amount of the U.S. economy. And this has been tracked by a lot of scientists. NASA's budget is getting smaller, even in spite of increases, mm -hmm. because of the size of the GDP increases and the size of inflation increases. NASA's budget's actually getting smaller as a percentage of the U.S. economy each mm. year. And it says a quarter of their spending is actually going to small businesses. 
they can accelerate the growth of small businesses, particularly like startups. And that's how a lot of these startups get funded at the beginning. And then once they have that, they can start to attract contracts, right, to get more public money, to allow them to do their research and, you know, send off more things to the space. And while I remember uh, watching a video in which people were asking, why is China, you know, why are we sending so many rockets uh, or satellites up to space? Um, and one of the comments were saying how it's actually a very profitable industry, like money is being made from having this ability to send, to successfully mm. send rockets and, you know, satellites into space. And not just for China, but it could be attract, you know, international projects that uh, you can send satellites for other countries into space. So it can be seen, you know, as a business, not just as a scientific research project. And speaking of... Well, I was going to add to what you already just said. A lot of countries, they're primarily interested in tracking things like global warming or local agricultural issues. They want to make sure that they have excellent farm yields and things like that. So other countries want to put satellites, what they call geosynchronous satellites. That one, Those are ones that can track their own country so that they can make sure that they have mm -hmm. increased heightened information about processes in their ecosystems and things so that they can have better farming outcomes and things like that. So yes, they're paying whoever can send mm. these payloads into space money to send them up into space for them. Because most countries, like you mentioned, cannot do it on their own. Right. Um, one exception is uh, New Zealand. Have you heard of Rocket Lab? Yep. Uh, that's New Zealand based. It's another big player in the space economy. Space economy. Listen to that. So it's a rival to SpaceX. And it has already completed 40 launches for customers, including NASA and other government agencies in the U.S. And its founder, uh, his name is Peter Beck. He went from a dishwasher engineer to launching rockets into space and says that that is only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the financial opportunities that lie beyond Earth. So for people who are interested, kids, you know, young people who are interested in space, there will be financial opportunities, lots of good jobs. And he said, Mr. Beck said, launch is about a 10 billion US dollars opportunity. And then there's infrastructure like building the satellites. And it's about 30 billion opportunity mm. US dollars. And then there's applications. And that's about $830 billion opportunity. And the article says he's not alone in making big claims. Even U.S. investment bank Morgan Stanley estimated the global space industry could grow to be worth over $1 trillion a year by 2040. Hmm. Maybe you can land a job. Oh, it's going to be a lot, a lot more than a trillion. Yeah. It's, I think people are underestimating what's going to happen. Mm. Let's look at it like this. Let's talk about just some really interesting things. And this is going to scare a lot of people because this is scary stuff. Right now, NASA's Try us. Okay. NASA is currently sending a, uh, a new satellite to meet with an asteroid, which has been done before by NASA and by uh, JAXA, Japanese mm -hmm. uh, Aeronautics and Space Agency. But this one is made out of iron. Hmm. So what they're looking to do is explore it. And if it is what we think it is, bring this what they call near Earth asteroid closer to the Earth. And then maybe even put it in orbit of the moon or just keep it near Earth. And then we could send out machines, possibly mm. with the help of a AI, that will be able mm. to mine iron ore and wow. bring it back to Earth. But we could also bring things like gold mm. or all kinds of other very rare elements from space 
and bring them back to Earth. So instead of mining the mountain and destroying an ecosystem under around that mountain, mm. destroying the local community, we could bring infinite resources of whatever kind we want down from the heavens. And but transportation cost sounds crazy, right? Bringing iron ores and well, once the, here's the thing: once you get those kinds of tools in space, bringing things from outside of Earth back to Earth is actually much cheaper. The high cost is bringing heavy payloads into space. So if you have a robotics team of you know things in space that can do this stuff, and it's up there, you can use it forever, right? It, it could just keep going and doing stuff. Mm. Even fuel can be harvested in space because you can go to asteroids that are made out of the kinds of things that you need for fuel. You wouldn't have to send fuel up eventually. We're talking about, you know, decades from now. You could have teams of robots roaming around the solar system, collecting whatever you mm. want and sending it back to Earth. You know, speaking of creative thinking, I never thought about that. The only times that I hear about asteroids is that, oh, that one got really close and barely crashed into Earth <laughs> or like like millions of years ago, one actually did. And that's where that crater uh, came from. But I never thought that we could actually go up there and start mining. Ooh, OK. Well, interesting thought. Yeah. And besides the projects that we've mentioned, I think I read in the news that Venezuela is going to work with China to put an astronaut from Venezuela on a Chinese moon mission. Have you heard of that one? I have not, but that sounds really exciting. I mean, I do know that China, like you, we mentioned at the beginning of the program, is very eager to get mm. other people from other countries around the world to cooperate with China in using the Tiangong and other tools because China is very eager to expand its operation. And that means bringing partners on who can bring their high technology uh, to bear on the issues of moving mm -hmm. humans and technology into space. So according to Venezuelan president, the first Venezuelan man or woman to land on the moon maybe will be on a Chinese spacecraft. So they're working on that. And also the Lunar 25 failure. Have you, you know about that one, right? That's from Russia. So the lander sent off by Russia crashed into the moon last month. But the Russian space sector said that's not the end of their project. So they're also working hard on sending their own lunar lander onto the moon. Well, Roscosmos has a very long history, as we know, and they are they're definitely never throwing the gauntlet down. They're going to keep going as long as it takes. Roscosmos is mm. actually for a while, the only way to get for, to the International Sp Space Station was using Russian space vehicles. And the United States, there was a mm. period in which they were not able to launch human beings into space. There were several years and only Russia had that capability during that time. So I, I have no doubt that Russia is still in the game and they're going to keep working with international partners, including China and probably also with the United States, if possible, to continue their uh, endeavors there. I also read another article. Mm -hmm. This is from spacenews.com. And it's entitled from September 7th, South Africa joins China's moon based project. So it looks like South Africa and Russia and Venezuela and China are all eager to work together and put their talent, tools, technology and money to bear on this very complicated problem. And apparently they have you know, their I... own space program. I've mm -hmm. never heard of it until now, but it's called S-A-N-S-A. -S -S -A. So they're all of these. This is South African National Space Agency. Yeah. 
I read about, well, you just mentioned South Africa's project into space. And all right. So yeah, I read this in an article. I think it was an article that came out in September, earlier September, 2023. South Africa joins China's moon-based project. Okay. So this was, um, I think that's when Chinese president state visit to South Africa uh, for the uh, 2023 BRICS summit. I've always wondered, you know, what state leaders talk about at these summits or these important meetings, mm -hmm. because what we see in the news, you know, they kind of all seated uh, around a huge uh, table mm -hmm. and it's pleasantries, <laughs> right, from what we heard. But then there are deals to be made and there are projects to <laughs> yeah, um, sure. signed off. So yeah. this is one of the projects uh, that they talked about, this uh, bilateral agreements on official space cooperation. It was penned on August 22nd. So on September 1st, they signed the Memorandum of Understanding between CNSA, that's the Chinese Space Agency, and the SANSA, that's the South African National Space Agency, on the International Lunar Research Station Corporation, abbreviated as ILRS, because that's something important. And the project aims to build a permanent lunar base in the 2030s. Mind when they say permanent lunar base is they don't, it's not always going to be manned. Mm -hmm. So they may build a, it's like building a building and structures facilities and then humans can go to it and use it sometimes and then other times not be there, not physically be present. Because again, being on the moon, it, you know, I know okay. a lot of people like watch space movies. And I do too, science fiction, and they're like eager to live there. But again, it's not very ideal, at, at least right now with the, our current technology to to keep permanently human beings on the moon. So I just want to mention, even though right. China is building a permanent station, it doesn't mean there will permanently be people there. Except Chang'e, the Chinese ferry. Hopefully she'll be able to find its way to the lunar base. And so this whole mission comes in stages, and China plans a series of uh, robotic missions first, like across the 2020s as precursors that will include a Chang'e 7 lunar south pole mission scheduled for 2026, and then a Chang'e 8 in 2028. Mm -hmm. And then there will be like five major infrastructure missions using super heavy lift launchers will be launched in the 2030s to construct the base. So they will like be building the base on the moon. Wow. And it's not even too far off. It's already 2023. So a few years, maybe a decade down the road. Yeah, it's very, very exciting. Yeah. I think both the United States and um, China are planning on doing that. Well, for it, me, that's actually not that interesting for honestly, I know that sounds that sounds like a wow. But for me, I'm actually much yeah. more interested in the uh, space station kind of uh, area of future technology because currently the we have mm -hmm. the iss right the international space station and we have the tiangong and but there's actually a lot of new space stations coming from the private sector that are going to be up there soon mm. and in, this includes a space hotel what so you will be able <laughs> yes they're already if you didn't know no. people paying mm. billionaires paying to stay on the international space station paying to go to space with uh blue origin playing to go to space with other and they're going to low earth orbit and actually there's a one called uranus which goes up into the upper atmosphere in a giant balloon where you can eat caviar and drink champagne but <laughs> This is still within the Earth's atmosphere, but they're actually building space hotels, which are literally going to be hotels in space where they'll have Starbucks, 
Mm. And they will have your own hotel room and you'll mm-hmm. be able to stay on board a space station for, you know, a period of a month or weeks, days, or however long you want to pay to stay at them. And mm-hmm. pe- billionaires who are looking for clout, right? Mm. They're going to be going up and say, and s- yes, well, I stayed at the space hotel for like three months last year. Wow. And this is going to become a way to deplete these, uh, the bourgeois money to pay for the space advancements. And th- I think it's, I think it's very. Like cruises and yeah, everything. Yeah. Else is just, they're not enough. It's going to the space now. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, besides these tourism opportunities and uh, I guess growth areas for businesses, people say that there are uh, possibilities in medical research in space. Well, and it did. Well, you really excite me. They actually, they already have a technology. So, okay, say uh. Bebe needs a new heart. Let's hope that never happens. What? But yes, it, <laughs> that'll be the end no, of it. No, no, right, right now, we have 3D technology. <laughs> that could potentially print human hearts right but we can't do it on earth mm-hmm. because they've probably heard of called gravity but yeah there are companies developing the ability to have little satellites oh in God. space that where they print hearts print organs for people and because there's no gravity it becomes easier to do that then oh baby's heart God. gets launched back down to earth where we bring it to the hospital and we can give you a heart made out of your own dna it's good to know that I don't have to be shot into space for the surgery because I think if I could, you know, if I could stand the trip, my heart should be okay. But yeah, I, I found this information that um, in medical research, he point. this is NASA's Bill Nelson, right? He's, is, isn't he the head of NASA? I'm not sure. And he says, he points to useful research in crystal growth conducted on the International Space Station in 2019 by like pharmaceutical companies, which helped develop a cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. But it didn't say much more than that. And he also says fiber optics might be manufactured more effectively in zero gravity. And so he expects to see a lot of business activities in low Earth orbit, you know, manufacturing hearts, organs, (laughs) <laughs> whatever other fancy things or even medicine. Well, some of this is already happening. The CNSA, Chinese National Space Agency, has already been sending rice to space to, you know, start... How Chinese. To, well, <laughs> sending rice well, to space. Not for human consumption, okay? Well, they're not like eating a sushi um, up there or whatever. But they send this up there and then they, I'm not exactly sure, but they partially grow it and they send it back to Earth and then they test it here and something about being in space gives the rice, creates new varieties of rice. I'm not exactly sure if it's exposure to no gravity or if it's exposure to space radiation or whatever, but China is already creating new varieties mm-hmm. of rice using this technique and space is already creating new kinds of rice that can survive in environments where it couldn't in previous years. So Chinese National Space Agency is literally creating better forms of food for human consumption here on Earth. Wow. So we can't discount like the kinds of stuff that space is already providing us with. Right. You have to go there to be able to find out the opportunities out there. But I, you know, I already see bags of fancy rice grown in space on shelves in the supermarket. What? 
And I wonder how much that's going to cost. Oh, <laughs> someday you're going to see on supermarket uh, shelves rice from space. Well, yeah, maybe, but they're going to grow it on Earth in like a paddy field in like Shando or something. <laughs> yeah, just with the seed from you know grown in the space station or something. Right. Yeah. But it sounds all very exciting, Jason. And I can see that you've been you know spending a lot of time. I'm yeah following my whole life. What's happening? Oh, my whole life. Oh yeah. 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 I literally watch Elon well, Musk I- give his speeches about his visions. They usually don't come true on time but they usually do come true this is interesting to me and i want to try to explain it this is about payload so the launchers that nasa used to send Mm. humans to the moon uh used to be the largest uh, rocket in the history of the world and so the new starship which is mounted on what they call a super heavy which is going to be we talked about it briefly earlier launched Mm. in hopefully into space very soon what makes it different is it's maybe actually very similar in total size but what we call the capsule or the part where humans it's like you know 20 times bigger so the part that actually where the humans get to go into space and gets jettisoned off into the void into into star wars land that is going to be considerably larger and it's ever almost everything is reusable now with spacex and this is fascinating to me because nasa even though it's you know considered by a lot of people to be cutting edge has actually fallen far behind SpaceX and is not using reusable technology. When you hear Elon talk, which I Mm. think is very fascinating about it, is he says, imagine this, a 747 fully loaded takes off. And Mm. then when you land, you have to throw it away. That is what NASA is doing. NASA is essentially every time they launch a new payload into space, they're Mm -hmm. throwing their rocket away. And what SpaceX is able to do is Mm. take it back down, land it again, and reuse it. And China is also working on this technology. (laughs) And I heard that by next year or the year after, China will have fully reusable uh, rocket technology as well. Now, what confuses is that NASA still wants won't. NASA's mm. still been building the same rocket I won't be uh, surprised. for the last mm-hmm. decade that is not planning on being reusable, and they have no plans to change that. So while China's catching up with cutting-edge technology that SpaceX has, NASA's just like, nah. Yeah, I can, in my head, I'm, I see NASA, you know, saying to Elon Musk, we didn't give you that huge contract and all that, you know, technology for you to say that about us, <laughs> but... I get your point, though. I think that's where the power of the private industry comes in. People who have the drive and the interest and also the tenacity to, you know, follow their dreams and make it come true. And maybe in our lifetime, we'll be able to. Well, I won't. I think I'm pretty happy on Earth, but I can see Jason. You know, yeah, I'm happy. I don't coffee. want to go to space. No way. In the space uh-uh. I'm not going to Mars. No. That's dangerous. <laughs> you go. I'm, I'm sending someone else who's more enthusiastic, younger, better shape with a PhD. You go. You, you tell me you send me selfies of your yourself drinking starbucks on mars and i'll be like look this is the poster i put in my on my wall or something i'm not going that's that's dangerous but what i want to say about it was interesting about the difference between nasa and spacex Mm -hmm. and what i like about uh cnsa china space program is that essentially nasa has created so many rules 
like rule, mm. rule, 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 safety, safety procedure, safety. Pro- that's why it's not as effective as it once was. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of that comes from the fact that they lost humans in the past. Right, uh, right. You know, mm-hmm. so it's, you know, they understand how dangerous it is. But SpaceX is like, because they're corporate, they don't have to impose all the same structures onto themselves and they're able to be a little mm-hmm. more wild and out there. But they've also not lost people yet. So that might change. And I right. and currently. They are okay with failing before, you know, it's a process of exploration. Right. You know, right? Fail. You fail your way to success. Right. Yeah. But I think it's really exciting that China is now able to also take those kind of more brave adventures into the spacing game and kind of has a balance between Mm -hmm. sort of NASA's style of safety, but also let's push the boundaries of what we can do like SpaceX. So I'm really excited to see some of uh, the U.S. private industry go up against China. And I don't want to see either of them win. Mm -hmm. What I want to see is win-win. Everyone can compete and just will come up with the best outcomes for science and technology. Imagine this, baby. Imagine you can step onto an elevator, but instead of going to the, I don't know, 20th floor, you go to space. Mm. Yeah, you could go out and then look around and, you know, maybe I don't know how many thousands you'd have to pay. It certainly wouldn't be free. But this is actually a technology that is being developed by nations around the world. It is called a space elevator. And how this works is you go, you have a um, satellite in orbit and it lowers a cable to Earth. And then we use this cable to send vehicles up the cable into space. And there would be a platform on the top. I mean, this has been in some Chinese science fiction movies uh, recently, but there are actual countries that are claiming that they want to build it, including Japan, China, the United States, all say they want to build space elevators by around 2050. The difficult thing is that it's not possible yet. The physics of it makes, I know, I know I'm trying to make this sense of this so everyone can understand. <laughs> the physics of it is totally, completely possible and realistic, mm-hmm. and we will probably be able to do it. But there's one thing that's not done yet, and that is material science. We have a kind of uh, material called carbon nanofibers or carbon nanotubes, which is it, we can make very small batches of it that are like tiny, like strands of hair. But when we can scale this up, and we're getting very close to being able mm. to scale it up so that we could make the entire rope, if you will, for this space elevator out of this material, then it will be possible for you to get on an elevator mm. and go directly to space, possibly even like a solar powered elevator. So you could just send as much materials into space as you want. And the need for rockets would be, you know, old hat technology that we wouldn't even need anymore. So this is something that eventually we probably will have. So you're talking about a physical thing, like a physical link between a space station and Earth. And we can just, yes, this sounds very far away, but I guess if rockets can go, then it's possible. And that thing will be orbiting around us at the same space, at the same pace that the Earth is turning, I suppose. So nothing get like lost or twisted. Yeah. Geo- geosynchronous okay. orbit. And yeah. So it would just be jutting into the sky and you would just see this rope that continues into sp- sky and would disappear from human right. view at some point. But that would be something people could get. I on think the view will be very yeah. interesting. I might choose to go to the, f- you know, first few floors. Um, just to get a taste of it and also, you know, to feel just to see what I can see while you are ascending. And maybe the yeah. view will just be blank space, <laughs> dark space or 
you know, stars. <laughs> well, you can look down yeah. and see the Earth. And I hope that scared. Oh, whatever gosh. Well, energy so source <laughs> that it's using will be reliable. So even on dark days, rainy days, I'll be able to go, you know, I'll be able to get back. <laughs> when I... that, get, getting back is probably important for most people. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, sounds like a brave idea. But, you know, as all human inventions and huge breakthroughs at the beginning all sound pretty crazy. But eventually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe we'll see that in our yeah. lifetime. I'm excited about this. Well, let's just say this. Bebe is up. I'm not going to give your age away. You're somewhere around 40-ish, yeah. right? So if they're saying they're going to build this by 2050, that's 30 years away, you'll be 65, 70 years old. We might have them. Yeah, I'll give it a try, you know, but then I don't want my daughter to go because she's younger. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I mean, like I want her to be perfectly safe on Earth. <laughs> but even my 70s, something happens. And, you know, I was able to see the earth from space and maybe less regret wow um, that's brave. i think th that says that will say about how wow. i feel about this whole project it's exciting but i think it's it takes courage last question question for baby only i don't already have the answer to this question like many of my questions baby as a chinese person you know when i'm guessing china really didn't have much of a space program in like the 1980s and 90s right but now it's one mm. of the biggest players in the world in space how do you feel about that? Does that give you some sense of pride? I suppose. But the pride is not from the fact that, you know, you mentioned a race between China and the U.S. or the race between the U.S. and uh, the Soviet Union back then. For me, that's not really part of the scene. I'm proud of the fact that China can set goals and move and work towards that goal steadily. Because, you know, for, I remember years ago, right, when the space station first came into being, and it was in the news, and the U.S. side was, you know, there was negative rhetoric saying how China is competing and all that. But actually, China set goals and set timelines for its space exploration, and it was just doing things according to its own schedule. And that's what I really admire about, you know, China's ways of doing things. It sets a goal and, um, you know, realistic ones, and it goes towards its timeline. It puts in the work, and even if failures along the way, it keeps going just like its five-year plans, same for its uh, space programs. And that gives me a sense of um, confidence that they know what they're doing and they can deliver, you know, and they are, when they set goals, they set reliable, realistic goals, not just lofty ones so that it sounds great. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I'm, I'm proud. Yeah, I'm proud in this sense, not in the sense of any competition because, you know, I, we're just, we're all humans. Why compete, you know, when it comes to finding new futures for humanity? Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Uh, if you guys want to add to this conversation, please email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. Thank you for your time, listeners. Thank you for your time, Bebe. Well, thank you, Jason, for the loads of information you're able to offer when it comes to space. Well, thank you, our listeners. We'll see you next time. Bye. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.